All right, everyone, welcome back to another Crypto Daily 3 at 3. So let's dive right in. Our first topic is uh, this Binance KYC hack um, uh, or leak. And so obviously anytime there's uh, an accusation of a leak or a hack like this, it's super important to, um, to really kind of dig in rather than just spread FUD. So I wanted to share uh, what, it, what, what seems clear, what we know so far, um, but not try to kind of overstate things. So um, basically over the course of the last few hours earlier today, uh, a hacker started popping up saying that they were, um, uh, effectively they had Binance KYC information. Uh, they were trying to get people to confirm it via a Telegram group, asking them for additional information. And so Binance, basically their, their first statement was CZ tweeting out, hey, hold on, let us look into it. We've heard similar things. Their next statement was this uh, this blog post, statement on false, quote, KYC leak. Um, so a few, few different things they say here. First, uh, first and foremost, there are inconsistencies when comparing this data to the data in our system. Uh, at present time, no evidence has been supplied that indicates any KYC images have been obtained from Binance. Um, second, they say that um, this was the, they think that it's the same data set from the Binance hack from earlier this year where someone got away with 7,000 uh, 7, Bitcoins, right? So we'd already heard about that. So this is really important that even if this hack is legitimate, it's not new, it's just they got more in that hack um, than we had thought about. So it's not a, a second unique compromising of the Binance system. Um, third, they say that this person had uh, previously threatened them, demanding 300 BTC in exchange for withholding 10,000 photos that bear similarity to Binance KYC data. Again, this is their official statement. This is just me me reading it. Um, four, they uh, they they basically said that they were kind of doing this. Uh, beneficently and, and asking people to confirm things. So um, there's a, a lot going on here. Uh, you know, so a, a few people made the point that Binance KYC hack is old news. This is from box mining. Uh, be careful of any telegram groups that help you check if you've been hacked. Someone is up to no good. I think regardless of the uh, legitimacy of the hack uh, or, or this data, that's definitely true, right? Going into a telegram group and giving your you know phone number or personal information to try to find things, not really best practice. However, Coindesk has been doing some uh, digging and um, and it looks like the picture is a little bit murkier actually than, uh, than it seems. So um, basically they said on Wednesday, a telegram group created uh, by an admin under the pseudonym Guardian M distributed hundreds of images in images of individuals holding their IDs and pieces of paper written with Binance 22419. Uh, and the, the Coindesk was actually able to get in touch with this supposed hacker. So the hacker told Coindesk that he or she has at least 60,000 more. Um, we have access to nearly 1,000. Uh, in response, obviously they cover uh, Binance's response. Um, and then the important thing is, uh, since Monday this week, Coindesk has reached out to three people whose ID images, among hundreds of others, were first uploaded to a publicly available cloud, cloud drive and were later circulating in the Telegram group today. Two individuals confirmed to Coindesk the authenticity of the images and that they submitted such images to Binance.com on February 24th, 2018. So there's clearly a little bit more uh, legitimacy, it seems like. Um, so what's the point of all this? One, you know, anytime there's a hack, especially 
have an exchange as important as Binance. It's important that we know what's going on. We understand what the real risks, what the real vulnerabilities are in this space. Um, second, I think for those who uh, argue that KYC is a security hole, this is exactly why, right? Um, this is the thing that that can happen if you if you go through a KYC exchange. Um, this is part of why DEXs are on the rise and why non-custodial exchanges are appealing to uh, to kind of the, the the set of users who value privacy uh, and and kind of that that personal um, sovereignty and and shield and cloak of, of information over uh, just straight convenience. So, anyways, highly developing story. Um, you know, important to note again, even if this is real that it's still part of kind of the, the same big singular hack from Binance, but important to cover nonetheless. Um, with that, let's move on to number two. So number two, uh, kick claps back at the SEC. Um, so uh, for those of you who don't remember, a few months ago, uh, the SEC hit Kick with a big lawsuit. Um, this was just days after Kick had started something they called Defend Crypto, which was theoretically a legal defense fund to uh, effectively try to force the SEC's hand at providing some amount of guidance on um, on token definitions. Right, so it's all all of this comes back to. Uh, you know the 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 unsolved or unresolved issues of to what extent uh, crypto asset tokens are um, securities or are they uh, something else? Uh, do they start as securities and become something else? Um, and so, uh, Kick has throughout this taken a pretty aggressive stance, and the SEC's lawsuit against them took a similarly aggressive stance. Um, we we covered that pretty extensively back a couple months ago, and so uh, just yesterday. Kick responded, um, and they uh, responded with a 117-page document. So, um, just uh, to get a get a sense of what this looks like, um, so uh, Stephen Paley, who is obviously a, a one of the crypto Twitter legal core um, and who writes with the block, uh, wrote breaking Kick files aggressive answer to SEC complaint, accuses commission of twisting facts and misstating evidence. Um, so basically, the, a lot of Kick's argument has to do with uh, has to do with uh, what the SEC said in its complaint and effectively trying to kind of lawyer them in. Um, Paley says, uh, a wise friend who has to be anonymous tells me he thinks that they think that Kick fell into a trap by being quite this aggressive. The SEC will death by a thousand cuts them, and this just makes it all the more difficult to get anything settled because they made it personal. It's hard to say who's right here. The Kick people no doubt felt backed into a corner with no choice. And those first three pages of the answer look bad for the SEC. But at the end of the day, it's a legal question. And who said what, when may mess be less important than what they think. Um, so, uh, so again, a lot going on here always with the block. Um, and uh, and so, you know, I am not a legal expert, um, but luckily we have a lot of amazing legal experts uh, on the case. So Catherine Wu, who formerly of Masari, uh, has, when the first kick uh, complaint came out, when the SEC complaint against kick came out, she did a, a full annotation of the entire complaint. Um, she's back, she's done that again. Uh, it's a full 117 page annotation. For those of you who are watching rather than listening, you can see I'm scrolling through it and just how much is here. Um, but because I can't possibly do this justice, I actually asked Catherine to uh, join us and, uh, and share basically a couple minutes of takeaways. So I'm gonna flip over to her right now. 
Um, thanks for having me on, Nathaniel. Um, so here's the thing. The complaint didn't really need to be over 130 pages long. An answer doesn't usually go line by line and do it so aggressively unless it was partly for um, publicity as well, which, you know, to be fair, I think Kick has played pretty aggressively on the publicity front from the get-go, right? From um, the statements that were released before the complaint um, about how they won't settle, um, releasing their Walls report, which is also something that's pretty uncommon, and also the whole, you know, defend crypto campaign. Now onto the actual answer, which Kick pretty much denied all allegations and also raised some affirmative defenses, which is um, what you're supposed to do uh, in an answer to a complaint. Um, and so in their um, defenses, Kick challenged U.S. security laws as being unconstitutionally broad um, and then got into a whole history of, you know, what the SEC has said and done around crypto since um, 2017. And I think this would be a pretty interesting um, argument, actually, and I think that's probably where a lot of the court um action is going to be around because this is pretty much just saying well you guys have put out either contradictory or, or vague statements and i think that um i think the crypto industry in general would have an interest in seeing how this plays out um kick in their affirmative defenses also hammered home that they raised 50% of the 100 mil in SAFs and the other 50% in a public ICO. And they were saying how the SEC shouldn't have lumped those two sales together. And the last offense was almost like a throwaway, like you guys don't have jurisdiction, which I think, you know, was good to bring up, but probably doesn't hold that much water. Um, look, a lot of the complaint was about how the SEC twisted their statements or omitted parts of statements, which to be honest, is sort of what lawyers do, right? You take the same set of facts, but somehow you make it, you know, one versus the other. So a lot of this um, answer was sort of like, you know, the SEC said ABC, but actually we meant XYZ. Um, and so it was sort of turning it more into a he said, she said um, situation, which again, isn't totally uncommon for trial. Um, so look, ultimately, it's going to be a great litigation showdown um, as we enter into the discovery process and potentially uncover more materials and, you know, what was actually said um, versus what was actually meant. Um, so yeah, this is going to be one to uh, tune in and follow. So to basically what Catherine is saying is that there's a lot of substance here, but also a lot of uh, back and forth and just kind of standard uh, lawyering. Um, I guess I just want to end the note on like the why this matters, right? And the reality is that, uh, you know, outside of just the um, entertainment value of these two companies, or, or rather of Kick and the SEC kind of slamming into one another, um, there's going to be a lot of precedent. There's going to be a lot that gets revealed in terms of, uh, you know, what what sort of action the SEC can take here. Um, William Mogar wrote a piece, uh, a pretty pro kick piece, but basically his point uh, when it comes to why does this matter for the industry is that there's a real cost for the lack of regulatory clarity right now. And this is something we've talked about before, where you have, when you have companies like Circle who are leaving U.S. jurisdictions for uh, places like Bermuda, where they actually know how the, the government is going to treat crypto assets um, from kind of a compliance standpoint, there's something really important there. So uh, again, this is just, just the beginning or maybe phase two of uh, of the kick versus SEC story, um, and we will keep watching. But with that, let's go to our last topic for the day, DAOs. So uh, a couple of days ago, I guess on Monday, uh, Ryan Zur, who's previously a Polychain Capital and has been working with the Web3 Foundation for the last year or so, um, announced that he was leaving and he was leaving to start a DAO. 
Um, and that's super interesting. So basically he says in his tweet storm about it, uh, the 2016 DAO is still one of the coolest projects I have seen. If it hadn't been, if it hadn't imploded today, it would be the largest capital deployer in the space. And the quality of due diligence that we saw from the community on those early days would have tempered the ICO craze of 2017. However, we lacked certain tools, regulatory clarity in many jurisdictions, and a deeper understanding of smart contracts, crypto economics, and decentralized coordination. All of these tools exist now. It is the right time to explore this venture. The dream of a sustainable, decentralized organization that attracts and filters for great talent, supports genuine innovation and meaningful experimentation, and delivers outlier value to its members is really the most compelling project in my humble opinion. So this is super interesting, right? So the DAO was um, obviously kind of the one of the first big hacks. Uh, it led to the split between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, uh, for example, over a difference of opinion about whether the money lost in that hack should be um, basically written over or just lost forever. And so uh, because of that, you know, people kind of soured on the idea of DAOs for a while. Um, during the ICO boom, there wasn't a, a huge emphasis there. Now, there were some projects like Aragon, like Colony, that were kind of slowly and, and more quietly behind the scenes starting to build infrastructure. But this idea of a, of a DAO, of a decentralized organization that could create resources, in some ways, I think, actually benefited from um, having less focus on it while the ICO boom was happening. Now, fast forward to this year, and you've seen an, a, a few different kind of high-profile DAO projects. Um, first, you saw Moloch, uh, which was basically a, a community funding DAO for Ethereum-related infrastructure. Uh, that emerged this year, uh, led by folks like Amin Soleimani from Spank Chain and, and a number of others, um, and has gotten lots of attention. Uh, Metacartel uh, forked off of uh, off of Moloch um, and kind of had a different approach. They just this week announced their first uh, wave of funding, um, and and so you know the interesting thing here is. Why do DAOs matter? Why are DAOs interesting? Well, for some of the folks in this space, the idea of coordination of resources um, in the absence of traditional organizational structures is one of the biggest and most exciting uh, opportunities to solve. So um, this post from earlier this year from uh, Stefano Bernardi um, over at, who, who's both of token economy, he's an investor, and now he's been with Aragon for about the last six or seven months. He wrote a piece called Why 2019 Will Be the Year of the DAO. He wrote a lot about what DAOs are good for. So he wrote, decentralized organizations are good at coordinating resources when not all parties are known to one another, aligning large number of stakeholder contributions towards shared goals, running organizations in a way that is resistant to censorship, accommodating a variety of levels of contribution, allowing people and entities to contribute work in a jurisdiction agnostic fashion, nimble setup, especially relative to traditional organization structures. So a lot of this is that there's there's this big space between you know informal groups who just chat together and uh, formalized companies. But right now there's no actual kind of organizational structure for those in-between type organizations. Um, and, uh, and, and Stefano goes on further to, to kind of point out which trends are incentivizing DAOs. So he points out the globalization of talent, the transformation of work, more people contributing more different types of work uh, at different levels from all over the world well-resourced stakeholder networks needing coordination. So this is kind of like the, the Moloch DAO use case of coordinating Ethereum DAO or Ethereum uh, infrastructure, emergence of decentralized finance,
finance. Um, this is a, a huge regulatory gray area. So people are using DAOs as a sandbox to experiment. Uh, normalization of participation and governance. Again, a lot of what DAOs are experimenting with is how people contribute to decision-making when they're part of an organization where not everyone knows each other. Um, there's potential issues around deplatforming, upswing in political and social organizing, and so on. And so, you know, his argument is that 2019 is the year of the DAO uh, and that you're going to see more and more experiments. And so far, frankly, we're seeing some interesting things. So, um, you know, when, when someone like Ryan goes into a new project, it's worth at least uh, keeping an eye on. And uh, I think it's in a space that is uh, is pretty fascinating. Um, so with that, uh, I will wrap this Crypto Daily 3 at 3. Thanks so much to Catherine Wu for hanging out and uh, and sharing a couple minutes on, on recapping uh, what's going on with Kick and the SEC. And I will see you tomorrow, guys. Peace.